Blog Talk Radio. busy month to listen give. We are so excited today because we're having part two from last week. We're having Elisa Camelhort from She Knows Media and co-founder of Blogger on with us. She will be coming on in two minutes. But before we bring her on, we're going to bring on our co-host, Mr. J. Logan. Mr. Logan, how are you today? Would you give us one good bit of uh, news today before we bring uh, Ms. Camelhort on? We have a limited time with her. So we want to get everything in. I sure will, you know. It's very hot. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the news. We've been having, like, a hot spell here, 105, uh, 100. I'm ready to come to New York. I, I, I give. So now, you know, you guys, you cold out Wait a minute. Time. Did I just hear that you say you you give in? You finally get I that mean, I, I, New York gets the hard. Really? And you think we have it that yes, easy? Yes. Today is not... 91 degrees here, Jay. So, Jay, I, I, I know that we – I know you do. And, Jay, you know we got to get really into the news really quickly. Can you give us one good piece of news? Um, because oh, we have Ms. Camelhart on, and she's on, she's on a limited time today with us. Okay. You know, today it's Apple's big event, Gail. As you know, um, they're coming out with their new S-series of phones. They're bigger, better larger, faster, quicker, and uh, Mr. Tim Cook is going to announce them today at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, and also they're going to be announcing their new uh, upgraded um, 
uh, tele, uh, Apple TV, you know, now you'll be able to hook it to your cable, take it with you. You have a hand controller where you can, kind of like the Wii, Wii, the Wii system, where you can push the buttons and watch Apple TV right in front of you, and then they're going to start their new Apple movies and all the new Apple products. So Apple's really expanding today. It's a big announcement today, and be prepared for the S series of phones that will be out for the people who love Apple and want bigger phones. They're making bigger phones now. They're going large. Well, Jay, I don't think we can go any bigger than what they've done with the 6 Plus. If it gets any bigger, you might as well just take a computer and put it to your ear. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, we have we do have Ms. Cameron Hort on, and she's been waiting, so we're going to bring her right on, okay? Okay. Alisa, it's good to have you on again this week. How are you? I'm great, Gail. How are you guys? We're doing really, really well, and we want to stay in keeping with your time frame. So if it's okay with you, everyone, this is Elisa Camerhart Cage from BlogHer and also She Knows Media. Um, would it be okay if we get right into the questions with you, uh, Elisa? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you know what we asked last week, we, want all, we don't want you to tell all the goodies too quickly. So we're going to ask you some <laughs> questions and just ask that you tailor it because you have such good information to share that we want our audience to really know what it's like to walk in your shoes so that when they're dealing with the same things, they will know how to move forward from there as well. Okay? You know, Great. last week, I'm sorry, did we interrupt you, Alisa? Uh, no, you interrupted my cat. Backyard kitty wanted to say something apparently, so sorry about that. <laughs> You know, so, Alisa, we're going to continue right where we left off last week, okay? Yes. And one of the things we were talking about is gender equality and gender equity. You know, we hear a lot about gender equality and gender equity, and being in a woman's space, we wanted to know which one resonates with you more. You were about to get into the answer with us last week, and we wanted to hear more, a little bit more for you about what that means for you personally. Yeah, so I think I was saying that for me, equity speaks to fairness, and fairness is what I'm after. You know, it's it's funny. When we started Blog Her back in 2005, um, we got a couple of, uh, you know, we got some negative feedback, some negative pushback. Um, of course, one of them was from men saying, well, what, how would you feel if I started a Blog Him? And by the way, somebody <laughs> owns Blog Him Somebody owns that domain. We tried to buy it, actually, but, you know, somebody already has it. Um, and they, they would say that, you know, what if we tried to do a blog him? And I would always say, hey, if, if you feel really passionately about that and, like, you could use that to make a difference and do something, then you should go for it. Pursue that passion. Uh, of course, you know, I was being somewhat facetious because no one who ever asked me that really had any interest or <laughs> inclination to do anything like that. They just, you know, were trying to get my goat. Uh, but the other piece of feedback was to say, oh, this is separatist, and, you know, that's not the solution to to do things that um, are just for women. And, and my response to that was always, well, you know, first of all, men are welcome. Men attend. Uh, we've had male speakers. Men, you know, they're just not going to be in the majority, and that's an okay experience for them to have. And secondly, um, I think that there's a difference between separatism and solidarity and being in a space where you are the majority, where you see role models all around you 
um, and where you see different levels of achievement so that you can see a clear path uh, behind mm-hmm. you, people to help up, and ahead of you, people to reach towards becoming. Um, it's very powerful, and it empowers you to go off into other spaces in the world and make your mark because you've seen it, you know it, and, and you believe it. And to me, that's, um, I, I think that's entirely useful. It's not just useful for women. It's useful in many, many um, different points of uh, difference or points of uniqueness, I guess. You know, I'm having a conversation with a colleague right now about who's going to go and represent She Knows Media at Lesbians Who Tech because, you know, I, I feel like all organizations that are sort of providing that space for a community are important and serve a real purpose. Wow. What is that? I, um, this is Jay. How are you? Um, Hi, Jay. I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I want to know, like, um, how can young girls start in their own business online? Well, I think that um, that's a great question, and a lot of people have and it sounds um, super cliche, but part of it is that idea of what do you love? Like what, what can you do that you can sustain doing that you're still going to feel like doing when you turn 14 and 15 and 17? Um, not that we're stuck in one thing for the rest of our lives, but building a business and building a sustainable business is, is somewhat built on consistency. So, uh, certainly, I've done many different things in my career, but to build something, you you got to be able to stick with it. So, um, you know, pursuing what you love. I know a gal, you know, named Chloe Spencer. She um, was super into Neopets. I don't even know what those are, <laughs> but it's something that you know is a sort of digital, probably like a Tamagotchi. And so she started writing a blog that was all about all the tips and tricks and hacks and, and um, you know, Easter eggs and everything having to do with Neopets. Um, and in so doing, she learned about SEO and she learned about um, social media used to spread the word about her blog. And she learned all these other skills. Um, she started this as a teenager. She started making money. Um, she spoke at our conference and she was like, 16, 15, 16, and that led to a career in tech and doing consulting and all sorts of stuff, but it started from something that she was just really into, and that's the same thing I think when I think of Tavi um, from Rookie Mag, uh, Tavi Gevinson, I think her name is, you know, she just started something that she was super into. And from there, that meant she devoted the time and the energy and the commitment uh, and was passionate about it. And, you you know, when you meet someone who tells you about what they're up to, you know how it's sort of contagious when, mm-hmm. when they're passionate about it. And that's yeah. how you get customers. That's how you get investors. That's how you get mm-hmm. advocates. That's how you get promotion is when you're contagious like that. Wow. You know, um, one of the things, Lisa, and you speaking about, you know, young girls and how they can get started, you know, there is a lot of young people who want to know the next question that we have, and they've asked us to ask you this, and then it's okay. mixed with our our questions as well. How can businesses use bloggers to support their businesses 
And what are the ways that businesses can compensate those bloggers for their support? Well, you know, that's been my business for years now. The thing is that, um, you know, I don't think companies should use bloggers. I think companies should work with bloggers and figure out the right way to work with them. Um, And that means caring less about um, just the numbers and the traffic and the social reach. All that stuff is important, but it's side-by-side with who's relevant and appropriateness. So a lot of times when I'm first talking to a brand, they'll say, okay, so how do I find the A-list? How do I get the A-list of bloggers to write about my product? And I'm like, the A-list of bloggers is not going to write about your product. Um, A, because nobody really knows who that is, but the point is not that there is some mythical A-list where if you just got them to write about you, your business could be solved. There's your A-list of people who already have values that align with your companies, that values that care about the market you're in, that maybe already talk about that kind of product or service or media being produced. And those people, when they talk about what you do, even if it's a sponsored campaign and you bring them on as a paid brand ambassador, if they've already established themselves as caring about your sector, it's authentic and it won't alienate their readers because, uh, you know, bloggers whole, uh, you know, their value is built on the credibility they have with their readers and the trust they've built with their readers. If they start talking about all sorts of things that seem really inauthentic because they're getting paid, they lose that trust, they lose that credibility, and therefore they lose their influence. So trusting the influencer that you're talking to, to know how can I talk about this in a way that's authentic, that my readers will buy, um, they know better than you. Um, And so sometimes that means letting go a little bit about dictating so much, this is our message, you must repeat these 18 words, and, you know, um, putting it in the language of the person you're hoping will influence their followers uh, is is really important. Now, not every, um, and I know this just from before Blogger when I was a consultant, you know, you need to be paid for your work. You also need to know when you're striking a deal that has multiple forms of compensation, not all of which is a check. So I certainly, when I was a consultant, chose to do things gratis or value-add or as barter or in exchange because I weighed the options and decided it was going to bring me value. So if you want to go to influencers or bloggers and ask them to do something um, without monetary compensation, you should be even, before you even take that step, you should understand what's the value you're giving them. And the value is probably going to have to be more than a couple free samples, unless it's something super cool, um, or exposure when they have a bigger following than you and that's why you want them to influence their followers. You'd be surprised how many times brands go to bloggers who have bigger social followings than the brand does and they'll say, oh, but we'll feature you on our webpage that gets no traffic and we'll tweet about you from our Twitter account that has one-tenth the followers you have. I mean, it's, it's, it's all currency, but understand the value you bring, where it is and where it isn't. I hope that's helpful. Yes, it is. Alisa, um, 
Also, how how does one grow their personal blog, and and what's the definition of for for those out there that don't know what a blog is, how does one grow their personal blog, and what's the definition of a blog? Well, to me, a blog is just a kind of website. Um, typically, blogs um, are more informal than a corporate website. Let's say they have an authentic human voice as opposed to a marketing voice. It's really obvious if you go look at a company's like homepage and then go look at their blog, you should see a notable difference in tone. Blogs used to be very much about they they were kind of shallow from a navigation point of view. Like it was reverse chronological order and you didn't have to click very far to get to everything that was on that blog. I would say that the the design of blogs and the and the infrastructure or, or shall I say architecture of a blog has gotten way more complicated and complex and so it's really sometimes very hard to distinguish what's a blog versus um, a, just a traditional website. But I think that typically there's a human voice mm-hmm. or voices um, that that are driving a blog's content, and and there's a so therefore there's this sort of sense of authenticity to it. To build your traffic, you know, people ask me. That's the first question people usually ask me who are bloggers. So brands usually ask me how to get bloggers to write about them and then bloggers usually ask me how to get bigger and they say how do I get more comments or how do I get more traffic or how do I get my more followers and I always turn it around and say well who who are you commenting whose site are you commenting on whose community are you part of whose traffic are you helping to build one thing about the blogosphere is that it was kind of born out of a ethos of reciprocity so we call it link love and you know you'd it was very, very important to give proper attribution and to link to people you enjoyed and to share other people's sites. And, and like blogher.com has always been this hub where we actually, instead of trying to keep you on our website, we're constantly sending you away to all these amazing writers out there. And so a lot of times people think that they're just going to sit in their little um, fortress and build their site and a- ask people to come to them without ever going to the people. You got to be where your people are. You got to figure out who else is talking about this. Where's the community around my topic? Uh, how do I go be a part of that? How do I go join a conversation instead of being like standing on a soapbox in a town square and hoping you're going to gather a crowd? Um, go sit in the pub and um, be part of the community. Um, so that's that's usually my advice is to to be part of a community and give as much as you get uh, and find ways to, because when you give people link love, they want to know who gave them link love and go check them out and see if they can return the favor. Interesting. Wow. That's interesting. You know, the other thing um, I would say, the other thing, uh, just to add to that, the other thing I would say is that people tend to say, oh, you should have one really super narrow topic like my friend Chloe's Neopets blog. Um, and I don't agree you have to have a narrow topic to dominate search or to become, to build your traffic. That's one way to do it. But the other way is to have, you can have a unique topic or you can have a unique voice. And um, you could tell the most mundane stories of everyday life. But if you tell it with a unique voice, you can be the next Irma Bombeck. I mean, all she ever did was, talk about very, very mundane things happening in life, but she was unique. Um, 
So um, think of think about what you're offering. Are you offering a unique service? Are you covering a unique topic? Are you bringing something unique information, or are you doing only what you can do and telling everyday stories, but from a very unique point of view? Well, you know, um, because of time sensitivity, um, Elisa, I we're going to ask you. Uh, Combine two questions, and then Jason have one quick one. And I want to know okay. what ways can men, what ways can men and women work together better, and what is the difference between men and women blog bloggers? So, um, I think that to me, I think of bloggers in categories, and when they're in a category together, I don't see a ton of differences. Are there categories where there are way more women than men, and vice versa? Yes. But um, once they're in that category, I'm not sure I see a huge difference in in how they're behaving or communicating. So um, I always think it's more important to decide what what community you want to be a part of, um, what topic you want to talk about, um, and not think so much about, well, is it female-dominated or is it male-dominated? Because you can come be – there are many, many kick-ass male food bloggers, for example – um, that we feature on Blog Her and at our conferences. They're not in the majority, but they are an embedded part of that community. The dad blogger community is rising and growing. Um, and I think we're seeing, you know, let's have more freedom for people to talk about what they really want to talk about and not feel constrained like they're entering um, a category that doesn't belong to them. Uh, and so I think that, that to me that's, the much more important question is what do you really want to talk about every few days or the next few years and build, you know, and, and try to really build your expertise in so that you can build your influence. Um, and I, I don't think it matters if you're a man or a woman, if you're willing to make that commitment. I just think you may be more, <laughs> you may feel more unique uh, or more, not more unique, but you may feel, you know, you may stand out more in one category versus the other. Um, you know, I tend to think that uh, men and women, I, I work with, I would say, more women than men uh, because I've been working in women's media for the last 10, 12 years, so that's what ends up happening. Um, but I feel like there are consistent values that help us work well together, and that's the value of being straightforward um, people knowing that you mean what you say and you say what you mean um, and that they can count on you for that. So I think that that's very important. And I think that it's um, and it's really important to, to be just as authentic when you're talking about a problem as, as celebrating something going well. And I think that's where you run into a lot of problems with communication and the way people deal with conflict. Um, I think is where a lot of problems happen in communications amongst teams. Um, and, and I also think that um, making room at the table uh, for – so this is interesting. I think that sometimes people think that, that, that good management means you ask everybody their opinion. And that's super good management if you're actually going to let their opinions impact anything that happens but I've worked in environments where that was just an exercise to make you feel good, but none of that feedback ever got used. So it's, that's 
also it's just another way of coming back and saying be straightforward, be honest, be authentic because um, you begin to smell, you know, you can, you can smell a rat when um, things are done just for this sort of superficial show of it. So I'm not very good at answering questions about, you know, men versus women because I don't really think of it that way. Um, exactly. Exactly. We think the same way. We think that it's in partnership with each other and not one versus the other. I think that's so true that's, of any movement, whether we're looking for gender equity, whether we're looking for racial equity, whether we're looking for any kind of movement, um, you know, you need to see you need to see gender, you need to see race, you need to see you need to see. But you All need of it. to work All you of need it. you need the allies, like you and and it's not being an ally to say I don't see I, you know, I've had people say, I don't think about someone's gender when I'm reading them online. And I, I'm like, you know, I, I just don't buy it. I, people see all that stuff. It doesn't do any good to say you don't see it. What does good is to say that you see it and you want to, you know, be an ally and make things better and, and find more opportunity. I agree. I totally agree. I know Jay has one more question for you, Jay. Yes, uh, what do you see for the future of online blogging? What, what do you see that is going to advance the online blogging, the new things and techniques to be used in the future? Well, I think that um, the whole world of online has changed so much in the last 10 or 12 years. It's not all about just your your blog used to be the place you did everything. The blog is where you would post something if you were thinking in 140 characters or if you were thinking in long form. I mean, people used to make fun of nobody, you know, blogs and say nobody cares what you had for lunch because that was the only place to share that. Of course, now we have a million places, and if we want to share something quick and trivial, we do it on Twitter or we do it somewhere else, Facebook. Um, so uh, the, the tools in your toolkit have expanded so much as far as format and um you know, how much you can control the look and feel of what you're doing and how much you want to control it. Like some of us probably never wanted to have to worry about an actual individual design for our blog. We just wanted to write. But because it was our only choice was the blog, we had to, like, teach ourselves code and teach ourselves how to, you know, design blogs. So something like Medium, or, or She Knows for that matter, is perfect for people who are like, you know what, I never really wanted to become an HTML jockey, but I had to. But now I can write to my heart's content and let someone else worry about that. So there's a value to that. Um, but the thing I think is really important is to think about formats like audio, like you guys are doing, and video, and think about imagery and uh, expand. Ex and it's hard for some writers, you know, expand beyond purely the words on the screen and think about uh, the visuals, think about, uh, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, and bringing that kind of visual interest to what you're doing. And it just means that you can keep um, uh, learning and growing, and there's always new skills to develop. And, and doing that over something you love, like a blog or a podcast or a, a video blog, that's developing skills that can lead you to your next job or your next career or your next. So even if, even if you don't end up making your livelihood from that blog or podcast or video, 
I know lots of people who develop the skills doing those things around their passions that get them their careers, that get them their jobs. And that's why I think it's super valuable to stay up to date on all of these tools and all of these formats and all of these technologies. Thank you so much uh, for being on with us. We know you have a meeting, and it's uh, 1.01 p.m., and we're sorry that we kept you a minute over. No so, worries. I appreciate you uh, keeping such a good eye on time for me. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And, Elisa, we definitely want to have you back whenever you want to be back. Well, great. So thank you, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking with you in the future. And uh, thank you yeah. for just sharing this with young people. They're going to get a lot yeah. out of it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Talk to you guys later. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jay, I, like, love her so much. You know what I mean? It is, it's hard not to like her. It is just I love her. She's real. She's down to earth. And she tells it like it is. And you know that's me as well. That's in so many ways. You know, you don't like to say you, you're the same as another person, but she reminds me so much of myself, and um, that's what I love about her. And um, you know, I've, I've known her I think for three years. Um, not she's not a close close friend. Don't want to lie and say that. But I've known her, and she's always been really straightforward. Every time I see her at a conference, you know, it's really um, it's refreshing. So to speak. Yeah, she, yeah, she's an amazing woman, and um, I just learned so much about blogging, you know, uh, and how important it is, and how to keep content and, um, and 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 keep America as a village, and just being able to speak and communicate with with, with one another, another on the internet. Um, it's amazing all the stuff she knows, and um, I hope that it has helped our listening audience and educated them to learn how to blog because uh, yeah. the more the better. <laughs> and, I, and I think, but I think what's also great too is not just America. I think it's um, in addition to what you're saying is that um, the blogging platform and, and, and the importance of their content and not just writing to write, you know what I mean? Just so you can grab the attention of someone, as she says. But most importantly, you know, when we're writing, we're connecting with other people. It's not, it may not be everyone's subject, but in some areas, it will be someone's subject. So you may think that even you might even decide to write something about your life that you're dealing with, or something about your life that's amazing, and you, someone in another country, is reading about that and saying, "Wow, I wish I could do that," or "Maybe I wish I could do that," or something like that, and don't realize they could actually start writing and communicating and connecting. We do not know how really easy it is to connect with others. You know what I mean? And um, having someone like that, um, I, re- I really appreciate, um, know- you know, knowing those things. And just, you know, anything else, I'd just be repetitive right now. But, you know, we have our other guest on, Jay. And as you know, Patrick was fun last week with John and said some really, really interesting things. So um, are you ready to get into the conversation with Patrick now? I'm always ready to get into the conversation with Patrick. Oh, Patrick. So, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am too. I, I, I love Patrick. Patrick has a, a slant on things, again, that you and I totally are in alignment with. Okay? So we're going to just okay. bring on Patrick right now. Hi, Gail. Mr. Hi, Patrick. It's, it's Jay. It's Gail and Jay. Jay How I'm are sorry. you, Patrick? I'm very well. Thank you, Gail. Thank you for inviting me back. 
Oh, we simply enjoyed last week. And, Patrick, if you don't mind, you know, just for time's sake, and I know you're at the U.N. and have so many things to do, and we, I've got to, you know, get to the U.N. as well. Um, we want to just continue from last week, you know, off of last week's conversation. Will that be okay with you? Of course, as you like. Okay. Um, so, you know, um, we just ask that you answer the questions um, to the the question itself so that we can get in everything, okay, and that all the goodies are not thrown out to everyone ahead of time. Is that okay with you, Patrick? All righty. Okay. So last week, Patrick, we heard, you know, you say something we found interesting. You know, Jay and I have always talked about multicultural, but you, you know, we talked about some intercultural too, but not knowing what that was, and you introduced us to something really amazing for us, and that was multicultural and intercultural in bringing communities together. We wanted to know, because we had to stop at that point, would you share your point of view on that? Because we found it really interesting. Sure. I I hope it's not too controversial or or anything, but uh, when I was I guess growing up in my formative years in the early in the 60s and early 70s I did hear the word multicultural as an outlier for future discussion and it was very interesting to me because I wanted to learn more about other cultures but the more I learned the more I found that there was a very slight gray difference between multicultural and intercultural and multicultural to me sounded um, like it was part of an uh, a, an attempt to enable all cultures to exist and be tolerated side by side, where an intercultural approach is one that kind of mixed it up and didn't uh, look at one culture as better than another culture or any culture tolerating another culture, if you will, the, the sort of pejorative uh, meaning of tolerance but instead investigated other cultures in a very equal and interesting way. Uh, I think, fortunately, that has led us to embrace um, the seasons like uh, Kwanzaa and Hanukkah, as well as maybe the more popular Christian uh, holiday of Christmas, let's say, during that season. It, of course, has given uh, faux news or Fox News, whatever their name is, free reign to say that now there is a war on Christmas because we're actually investigating other cultures rather than merely having tolerance for them. So I found this gray line kind of interesting when I was in the theater originally, and then as I moved into my own explorations working uh, in different cultures around the world, I wanted to simply meet them and understand them better rather than saying, well, we allow any of them into our um, our habitats that we exist in. So it's a very slight difference, but interculturalism for me is more investigative and it's more interesting on a very equal level than multicultural uh, multiculturalism might uh, sound, at least to me. Interesting. Um, Patrick, uh, last week we discussed a little of, of your music. And as a person in music, what genres do you enjoy? And what genres have the ambassadors, ambassadors who work on the CD with you prior and the new songs you're going into the studio with now? Do those ambassadors love the new rock songs? Well, you know, music has 
followed me all my life, and uh, I think it has for all of us. I may have said that uh, young people know whether they like Lady Gaga or not, but by that I certainly mean that young people, and when we were all young, we certainly had this fervent love for a certain type of music. And again, coming out of the late 60s and early 70s, I feel very blessed to have heard, been part of uh, a musical a revolution that took place at that time from Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and everyone who came in between and after. In the work I did in the uh, 22 years leading Friendship Ambassadors Foundation, I began to see that there were similarities in music that brought us together outside of normal logical discourse or dialogue. If you and I did not both speak English, we'd have to have a translator between us or know each other's language. Music, you know, is more simple in in its rigidity. You know, the key of C or the key of F minor is the key of C or F minor. There, uh, There's no wavering when you're in that key. So it enabled us at Friendship Ambassadors Foundation to bring together disparate peoples by having them sing together or dance together, uh, playing music together, because there were certain strictures that went beyond language that enabled us to come together and share and find that even in that sharing, there might be differences and similarities that we could learn from each other and understand our commonality as human beings within. At the United Nations, since I've uh, left FAF, and actually during the period of my, my last year of tenure at FAF, I began working with a woman named Ambassador Simona Michalescu of um, Romania. And we actually worked together for about three and a half, four years at the UN. And uh, in the beginning of that work, she alerted me to the fact that when she was 16, she worked with Friendship Ambassadors Foundation long before I joined it as a choir singer. And she learned about the rest of the world from her very small town in Romania, which is a town that would be very insulated at that time in the 70s and 80s due to the fact that it was part of the Soviet Union. But she was able to break free from that and learn because Americans came to sing in choir festivals and other occasions that Friendship Ambassadors Foundation permitted and and created and produced. So um, that enabled her, in a way, to experience the rest of the world just through music. So she found it really exciting to work with us and brought together some other ambassadors, four other ambassadors, to create a CD, which we created two holiday seasons ago, and it was the Five Ambassadors Sing for Peace. I think, as a matter of fact, if you look up the title on Amazon or YouTube or or, uh, iTunes, it will be Ambassadors Sing for Peace. And those five ambassadors sang 12 songs of peace together, and they came from a wide variety of regions throughout the world, thereby reinforcing the fact that music has this wonderful communal nature and commonality of purpose uh, that brings together people around the world just with the joy of singing or creating music. 
And there was some wonderful musical styles and songs that ranged from maybe the last 20 or 30 years uh, that were sort of songs of the season. And uh, that was a big hit for us, certainly at the U.N. Many in the U.N. family wanted that CD uh, and either downloaded it or purchased the actual hard copy CD. And Ambassador Michalescu and I went on to work on other projects like the Youth Assembly. She was its lead endorser for several years, as well as other ambassadors. And then uh, in my last program, essentially, with the uh, Friendship Ambassadors was a choir concert done on the uh, occasion of the 70th anniversary of the United Nations. And there we brought together hundreds of young people who sang from across the world. They came to the UN to sing together. Uh, and Gary Fry, who was the festival director, wrote a few compositions for it, and then they sang some of their own music from around the world. But really, I think the highlight for all of us at the UN was a new band that Ambassador Michalescu created, and her latest creation is called UN Rocks, and that is a actual, just a rock band that sang a few songs during that event, one of which I may have said last week was John Lennon's Imagine, and I, I, I told them in rehearsal I felt odd that when they got to the line, imagine there's no country, I thought, my gosh, you'd all be out of work. But we just sort of found that amusing, and they uh, did that among uh, other songs by John Fogarty, um, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and others. And uh, they are preparing to go back into the studio now, outside of their day job, and record UN Rocks. So that gives you a little background and brings you up to speed on where we're at uh, currently. Wow. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I wanted to ask of you as well, um, Patrick, is, you know, as you, you know, as, how can I say this? You know, you talk about as a young man how you like to bridge your music and other arts together, okay? Mm-hmm. How has art supported you in your everyday work with the UN? I don't think I would have had the ability or the interest to work through some of the difficult issues, the many difficult issues that face us at the United Nations without a better understanding of the cultures from which those understandings emanate. It's very easy to dismiss the other. Uh, You know, they're wrong, they're weird, they're radical, they're odd. Until you understand the basis for where they come from, and most of us articulate where we come from through the arts, It's a way for us to express our loyalty, our goals, our fears, our aspirations. Probably another area is another cultural development would be religion. Um, But religion tends to polarize people as much as it brings communities together. And music seems to merely bring people together. Uh, if it's good music. And so music and dance, uh, theater, when I'm able to understand it in context, is always a way for me to interpret 
how other people think around the world and why they think that way. So certainly from when I was very young until currently now in my own work uh, at the UN, uh, the arts is important. And why is it so important to me right now? The um, ambassador who I work for, His Excellency Ambassador Angelo Antonio Torriello of the mission I serve, used to be a singer. As a matter of fact, if you went on to, I think it's YouTube, you can see that he had a band back in India when he lived there for many years as uh, a diplomat, and it was called The Human Beings. And they had this wonderful sound, and he had this great voice. So, you know, again, I am working very closely with a diplomat who appreciates music, appreciates the arts, and is a very artful thinker himself. So that confluence of ideas is one that I um, I continually rely on for my success in my work. Um. So, Patrick, I also would like to know, uh, what do you love about the work you are getting into now as a diplomat and the work that you did at the Youth General Assembly? Well, the Youth mm-hmm. Assembly, I'm not really sure where it goes from here. I led it, I co-founded it, and uh, produced it for 14 years. And in the last five or six years, we've been doing two a year. They've become quite successful. Uh, we've been bringing together youth leaders from around the world uh, to the UN, and that is a project of Friendship Ambassadors Foundation that I leave behind uh, because my work has become more broad now. Currently, I think what I like the most is that um, the mission I serve is Sao Tome and Principe at the United Nations, and my ambassador permit me to create special events and conferences and others that attack certain issues that augment the discussions on particularly global development uh, and intercultural relations uh, that I enjoy fostering at the UN. We'll be doing a large uh, dinner and arts presentation during the General Assembly coming up at the Delegates' Dining Room, where we're taking it over for the evening and doing a large dinner and, and presentation there, where many heads of state will join us. Uh, we are uh, doing a side event within the General Assembly context in the UN based on competitiveness and global development. Often we look at collaboration Uh, But here an idea has come to us on how we can compete as member states to see who is doing the best in areas of maternal health or education, primary education, or lifting uh, individuals out of poverty or dealing with the terrible migrant crisis that's occurred during uh, the wars in Syria and elsewhere. And uh, it's it's almost a fun idea that enables us to look at some of our challenges, greatest challenges, and acute opportunities in a way that is uh, different than the way we normally discuss those areas at the UN. Uh, we'll also be doing a uh, large conference in 
October uh, featuring high school scholars uh, from around the world. So again, I'll be working with youth, but in a different capacity. And then later in October and early November, I'll be doing a program on women's empowerment and um, uh, uh, essentially working with the He for She movement that Emma Watson has begun uh, at the UN. And these special kinds of events take uh, a personality that is able to reinterpret discussions that we're having uh, on a, um, a multilateral level at the UN and interpret them in ways that uh, enable us to look at them in slightly different ways than we do normally. So, you know, that, of course, uh, provides us with an opportunity to be uh, interesting, interested, and uh, that's what I love most about my work these days at the UN. Amazing. Oh. I mean, Patrick, you keep surprising us more and more. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you for saying that. <laughs> So I, you know, I uh, I know that Jay has a question for you. Sure. Oh yeah, I'm really I'm really want to ask him this one. You know, um, Patrick, what countries uh, you have traveled to and really left a positive positive imprint on your life? Which countries have you traveled to and left that imprint? Well. You know, I've, I've uh, circumnavigated the world four times, and I've been to many, many countries. It's difficult uh, because I'm Italian, Sicilian, not to say that Italy is one of my favorite countries, possibly because I have family there, and I love the pizza and the wine. Uh, but, you know, aside from maybe the obvious, uh, I've found it thrilling to travel through China because it's so large and its immenseness overpowers me sometimes uh, when I think that, you know, Shanghai, very much like New York City, is such a hub of activity and yet it's so much larger than New York City. And um, and related to that, Hong Kong, which is about two-thirds the size of Manhattan, has 24 million people. And some of them are very active in helping to shape the future of the world, and others are still living in poverty in that same location. Um, but, you know, one I've really been thinking about recently, and there there are so many that I could I could name, the south of France, I've just, there's just so many, but actually Hungary. Hungary is going through some very difficult times right now because of its proximity to the migrant population. And its own population is very, on the one hand, intellectual and liberal, and on the other hand, frightened and conservative. And I think the conservatives who are currently ruling that country are creating um, a, a sort of public perception of Hungary that is unfair. There uh, are so many intelligent, wonderful, poetic uh, people there and just a wonderful place to visit and uh, to see the kind of crossroads of the world, uh, not along just the Danube River, but uh, along the fact that it was a connector on the Silk Road between ancient Rome and China. Uh, between the East and the West for so many years. And it's a landlocked country, so it doesn't have the normal experience that many other countries have through ports and availability to large bodies of water. And that insular uh, feeling within Hungary 
both um, both attracts and repels in some way. Uh, but I've really enjoyed my time in Hungary, and I, I had an office there for about 12 years in Budapest and uh, really enjoyed meeting and working with the people there and traveling throughout the country, much of which seems to be overrun by now um, uh, with migrant uh, travelers who are trying to get into Austria and Germany. So it's a very difficult situation, and I think that's what brings it to mind. Uh, certainly, there are areas on each continent which I've personally spent time in and have had wonderful relations with either local people or or leaders uh, being invited uh, to Jordan, uh, for instance, uh, to attend the Nobel Laureates Conference uh, as one of the leaders uh, of that conference by um, by the king and the queen um, was an amazing event because if you're invited by the king, you get that kind of royal treatment. In other cases, uh, I have traveled as a theater artist on, on a dime into northern Spain and remember camping by night and performing all throughout northern Spain during the days with a play that I had written uh, La Caja Fuerte, The Strong Box is Locked, uh, in uh, the uh, the northern region, which at that time up near Santander was having many difficult problems in the early 80s with uh, the, the Basque and the revolution that was going on there uh, pretty, uh, pretty loudly. And I think of all of these areas, um, uh, they all come to mind as ones that I've, I've really enjoyed uh, traveling through. Uh, the Philippines comes to mind because it is just so many different islands and so many different communities within one country that the difference between Palawan and Cebu and the capital of Manila are almost incomparable, and yet they're all fascinating. So... Uh, I recommend travel to everyone. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that because that's, that really gives us a bird's eye view of, you know, from your perception of what it is to travel in certain locales that some of us have not traveled to. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, um, Patrick, was what country, um, you know, given those countries you've gone to, given your music background, um, if you were able to create your job description, incorporating all that you do have ever done since a child, what would it look like? Well, I would love it to include the arts. I would love it to include the arts as a way to help understand diplomacy better, as I mentioned earlier. And I bring that up again because Ambassador Torriello, who I work for in his office, has a concept that he calls humanity, which is really kind of interesting. It's like the humanities and diplomacy. He sometimes says it's the human side of diplomacy. And we have done two humanity conferences at the United Nations where people like Petey Arrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, and other uh, artists from Bollywood in India and from a variety of locations in Latin America and throughout the West and the East have come, in, have come to speak about the possibilities of understanding better how the humanities and arts in particular enable us 
to understand the diplomatic struggles we face. So I think my uh, my goal or my desire for the best job description for myself would include that possibility of helping to bridge people's understanding of each other's positions by understanding their intercultural relations better. And I think I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I'm I'm close to I'm working close to that job description currently. Wow. Um, Patrick, I want to know. This is a, a, I know your job is a labor of love. So, what do you love about the work you do? Uh, just that you know that I get the opportunity to travel. I get the opportunity to work with artists who are committed to creating a better world. So I get to meet artists like I had mentioned Emma Watson before. Uh, being in the audience uh, at the UN when she first announced the program of He for She. Uh, this program, Emma, of course, uh, one of the actors in the Harry Potter series, one of the three leads that we always see in those films, uh, she actually said in the beginning, I feel so awkward, uh, and, and I wonder, what is this little girl from the Harry Potter series doing at the UN? And she said, but if not me, then who? I have this idea that, as she put it, gender equality will never be reached if it is a woman's issue. That if women espouse gender equality, it can be more easily dismissed by 40 to 50 percent of the population of the earth, that is men, as, oh, that's a woman's issue. And what she wanted to establish, and I think did establish effectively when she made the announcement to us, was that she wanted men to be the ones who led the cause for gender equality so that it then became a human issue. And uh, I was the 107th man on the planet to sign the He for She pledge, and now there are hundreds of thousands of men uh, on the planet, uh, if not uh, more, maybe closer to a million now, who have signed the pledge to stand up for and discuss gender equality as their issue, therefore he for she. And I love this opportunity to work with uh, the Emma Watsons, the Bonos of the world, those people who have a great talent, but also, like Angelina Jolie and others, a good understanding of how to use their communicative skills and their talents to propose ideas that maybe um, others might have spoken about, but that they could develop further. And being in their company, it, it, uh, it sort of regenerates me always and makes me feel excited that there may be uh, as much uh, positive coming out of these individuals as we see negative coming out in the news. Admittedly, with the news, generally, if it bleeds, it leads. So you get to hear a lot of bad news. But, of course, everything is in balance in the world, and there's probably just as much good news as there is bad news. We may not hear it as often, but in the work that I do and the people I meet and the people I generate toward in doing my work, I try to really work towards the light 
and work towards those people who are creative, fun, and have a sense that that can help us all float a little bit higher than we are well, yesterday. That's great, Patrick. That's well. Um, I, I hope our young people out here are not too intimidated. Just know that you can reach this and that you can of reach course. anything in your life that you want in listening to Patrick and Elisa. I have a, our last question for you, Patrick, is sure. technology. You know, we've all talked, you know, with you and Elisa today, we've all talked about a variety of things, but technology, and I know you know about Oculus. So technologies like Oculus and, you know, the latest apps and all of that what are your thoughts about technology, you know, in general? Like, what do you use for technology? What do you like about it? Well, you know, I heard your last guest speaking, and, and I, I do have a blog that I, I don't really keep up very much, but uh, I I think of technology actually as merely another tool, a better tool, a consistently um, better tool each day comes into our uh, our possession. And whether, you know, and I think as Thomas Friedman said, when I certainly was young and when Tom was young, uh, Twitter was what birds did and Skype was a misspelling. But it now we understand more and more that the technology transforms how we get our message across. But yet at the bottom line, it's merely like a pen. It's another tool that's transformative so was the pen when it when it was brought to us when uh, when gutenberg invented the printing press it was transformative but it was still merely a tool for human expression so i love learning new technology using new technology whenever i can um, I work with Microsoft often on their YouthSpark program, and YouthSpark uh, through Microsoft has helped connect 109 million young people to new jobs through new technology. Microsoft didn't create any of those 109 million jobs that I'm aware of. They merely connected the youth to jobs, and if technology did not exist, in the way that it does now with the facility that it provides, those 109 million youth would never have found the jobs that they had. So I, I applaud Google and certainly Apple and everything that, uh, that Steve Jobs was able to create in his lifetime and how others have built upon those things. I think of, of Steve Jobs as the Leonardo da Vinci of my time. And in, in regard to technology, it is essential that we keep moving forward. Young people understand this. And rather than be intimidated by me, I am certainly intimidated by them, by their possibilities, and what I know that they will create to make this a better world in the future. We really wow. thank you for being on the show Thank you for giving us some background information, uh, Patrick, that we were not aware of and that our audience was not aware of. And, um, you know, we would love to have you come on any time in the future and with any of the young people that you've shared that you'd like to bring on. Just know that you have an open door anyway. Great. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Jay. I will be in touch. I'm sure, Gail, we'll see each other at the U.N., and I thank you very much for your time with me. Thank oh, you. no problem. Thank so you. Much. It's been amazing. Okay. Have a great day, Bye -bye. Patrick. Bye-bye now.
You know, Jay, I think that we um, have been, you know, I like to say very blessed and very humbled by the people that we've had on the show in this last year, okay, people who are out there really making a difference. What are your thoughts? I think it's been uh, been great to have Elisa and Patrick. What, Patrick's just a great diplomat to have on the show and just so much knowledge that, you know, that they can share with the rest of the world about what's going on. And uh, we are so enlightened to have these people uh, to come on our show and share their experiences, and it just—it's just we just—we just you know helping the world grow up. It's we, it's we, we, it's a, we it's a great tool. It, it it is, and I and I have to say that I think it's it's good that um, you know we and I do say humble because we all have busy schedules, and for them to take their time out, this is not about coming on the show and like oh God, I'm I'm going to let everybody know who I am. This is really about coming on the show hearing things, you know, um, sharing topics with them just to see what their thoughts are on it. It doesn't, and we also want our audience to know this is not necessarily the topics that we say men and women in partnership. Yes, we believe in that, but it may not be that's all that we believe. So we bring topics to our guests to see their thought processes on it because of the questions that many of you have asked us to ask. And so with that said, None of the topics here are generally the views totally of Jay and I. There may be some, there may not be, but they're not our views. It's really just to illuminate you and what you want to know, questions you've asked us to get to, that because so many of you do give us questions throughout the week, we're not able to get to all of them, but at least some of them that we can. So we thank you for today. And, Jay, um, we'll, tomorrow we'll have on at 1 p.m. your time in California and 4 p.m. our time here, we'll actually have on Hannah Alper and Eric Alper with us. So this will be definitely the last week we're doing uh, two shows a week. Well, I shouldn't say that because it's a very pivotal week, for, a pivotal month for Instagram uh, uh, so we don't know, you know. But, uh, Jay, with that said, we thank you for being on today, and um, have an amazing day. You too, Gail. And uh, Gail, I want to say also, um, tomorrow will be great for to find out what Apple, I'll, I'll let everybody know what Apple did, okay? <laughs> well, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I've seen the size of the new phones, and the new phones are crazy. So um, I am not looking forward. You know, the 6 Plus is, is bad enough. You can barely hold that in your hand. And Jay, <laughs> just let you know, have you put your hand on the new phone, Jay? I have not. I have not. I have not yet. Well, I doubt you're going to get your hand around it. Okay. It's, it's, it's very similar to the Lenovo's Flabbit that they have wow. now, which is so large it's almost like you can barely hold it. And I want people to realize that it's good to use um, earphones, you know, in your ear because there's a lot of radiation coming in. And it's so wow. important that we we realize that. And even Bluetooth is a lot of radiation. So uh, coming from these sides, I mean, Jay, the the, the the flablet that they show, look it up for Lenovo, is huge. Apple is uh, slightly bigger or or slightly the same size. Okay. So there wow. we are. So with that said, folks, we're leaving out with Treasure by Lounge Renown Records and Patent Leather. And we ask you to go to the LoungeRenown.com site and support Patent Leather and all of its fans. And uh, you'll be hearing more about Jay and I and what we're up to and 
um, what our groups are up to. Um, and, you know, one last thing, Jay, I think we should tell our audience. Um, you know, Jay and I work very, very hard, and, you know, a lot of people are always telling us, you know, you should really take the accolades. We don't do this for the accolades. We really do make a difference every day because we've had certain uh, personal experiences in our lives that have uh, pushed us, kind of pushed us in the direction, and, had, and we have chosen to move forward with those things that will make a difference for other people. We believe that you can make a difference and get paid well while you're doing it. Am I right, Jay, or do you have anything to add? Uh, no, you're exactly right. You can, and it's uh, it's a blessing that you're saying that to everyone because we we do it here, and you do it every day. So you should get get paid for things that you do. I mean, that's what life's supposed to be. You're supposed to get a reward when you do the right thing. That's right. So um, with that said, we're going to go out with Pat Leonard's Treasure. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah.